0: that I've titled The Road to One Lost Soul, The Road to One Lost Soul. We're going to be talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to particularly be in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 25. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and hope you do, or at least a device, a device would be just as sufficient. You can fill your uh Feel free to swipe or tap or whatever that looks like for you to find your way over to Acts chapter 8. Just so we can dig into God's Word together and see what God is revealing to us in His Word. But many of you uh, who either have children now or who have children who are now grown know what it's like to have kids who are keeping you on the road. They're involved in a variety of of activities. I was talking to a couple here before the service about all the things that we were kind of wrapped up in uh, yesterday and the day before. It's been a busy weekend for us. And even with careful planning, if you, if you have kids, you can find yourself burning up the roads to a variety of destinations at various times. This weekend was, was particularly one of those burn up the roads sorts of weekends for my family and I. Now, the good Lord knows that we have plenty at home that we could be busying ourselves with when it relates to things that have to do with the home, things that have to do with our church. Uh, There's plenty that could be done on the weekends, especially with my bivocational work schedule. And because of that schedule, like I tend to lean pretty heavily on the weekends for my sermon prep time. And then there are, you know, the other items related to home and church life that deserve our attention. We we try to balance all of that with our desire to see our kids thriving in the good things that they're passionate about. Our youngest child now, he's playing soccer. Our oldest is helping to coach soccer. So that meant that this weekend we had a Friday and Saturday, multiple trips over to Ferris Park. And as we uh, traveled that road down there so that they could be a part of these sports. Meanwhile, our our daughter is doing competition dance, so my wife Amy had to to take the road that went down to Carolina Theater in Greensboro as she danced there as a part of that competition yesterday. Then after we all got home, we loaded up, we hit the road once more as we traveled to Pinnacle so that my oldest son could try his hand at racing go-karts for the first time. And that's a lot of driving. That's a lot of burning the roads up. We covered a pretty large swath of the Piedmont Triad this weekend. But we love our kids, and we want to equip them to thrive in those good things, those things which they're passionate about. And many times, we're okay taking a long road if it leads to an opportunity for our children to thrive. And you know, in some ways, our willingness to travel so that our kids can thrive is is a reflection of our God's heart for those who he wants to see thrive. And we're going to see that in our passage here today. In fact, in today's passage, God compels his messenger, Philip, to take a long road into an otherwise undesirable place so that one individual can become his child one individual can thrive in faith and in that way what we're going to see in today's passage ultimately deals with the road to one lost soul and the messenger that we're going to see traveling on this road by the way is not new to us in fact we encountered him last week we've encountered him a couple of times in our study now as the church had been scattered because of persecution, because of the stoning of Stephen, as the church had been scattered into the lands around, this individual was one who had gone north into a city of the Samaritans and had begun to preach the gospel there. God was with him in that effort, enabling him to perform great signs, and many individuals in that city believed. On Jesus, many were baptized because this man was willing to cross the barriers of previous prejudice and hate to share the message of God's love. And the man we're talking about, of course, is Philip. Some would refer to him as Philip the Evangelist. Uh, When we were first introduced to him, actually, we knew him as Philip the deacon back in Acts chapter 6, as those who were full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, were called to take on this task that would help out the apostles in Jerusalem by managing, by serving the tables of those widows who were in need. Philip was one of their number. He began in this diaconate sort of ministry, and... Yet Philip the deacon soon became Philip the evangelist. He was having quite the fruitful ministry, as a matter of fact, at the point when we encounter him in our passage here today. Many individuals in Samaria were being saved. The church in that city, in that area, had moved from birth to rapid growth because of Philip's involvement there. And his ministry there was so successful that it called the attention of the leaders of the church back in Jerusalem. So that when they learned of all that was happening up north in Samaria, they deployed Peter and John to go and to ultimately lend their support there in that area. A thriving ministry, many individuals hearing and receiving the gospel. But today, we'll see that God actually takes Philip in another direction. God calls Philip to take another road. And it's the road that leads not to the bustling uh, coming to faith of the multitudes that he's been experiencing in Samaria. No, the road that God calls Philip to take today is the road that leads to one lost soul. And do you realize the love and the longing that our God has for the one lost soul? Jesus taught in parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. He showed us that our God is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 behind to go and to find that one which has wandered astray. That one which is lost And today's passage gives us a vivid example of what that looks like as God calls his servant, Philip, to take the road which leads to one lost soul. And what we find in our passage today is the first New Testament example, by the way, of a one-on-one evangelistic encounter where a Christian leads another person to faith in Christ Jesus. And it's all made possible, first and foremost, because God had paved the way for that one lost soul to be saved through the finished work of Christ. But it was also made possible because there was one who was willing, one willing soul who allowed God to use him to take the road which leads to that one lost soul. And I just ask you as we gather here today, like, do you share God's heart for the lost. I hope you do. Like if you're a part of God's lost and found, if you've come to faith in Him, if you've been restored in Him, then you know what it's like to find the amazing grace that He offers to us, the amazing grace which transforms us by His power, not by any deeds of righteousness which we've done of our own. And yet God still has a heart For all of those who, like sheep, have gone astray. All of those who have turned to their own ways. And God is still seeking. He is still saving that which was lost. In fact, He's called for those of us who've been redeemed to join in His search party for the lost. He's calling individuals like you and like me to take the road that leads to one lost soul. And I ask, are you willing, are you prepared to take that road? Are you ready, are you willing to be used of God to reach others who are far from Him? Join me now in that passage as we ultimately see what it's like to travel the road that leads to one last soul. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand that we might honor the reading of God's word together. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they, that is Peter and John, started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture he preached jesus to him as they were walking along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look water what prevents me from being baptized and philip said if you believe with all your heart you may and he answered and said i believe that jesus christ is the son of god and he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they come up, came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him but went his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be Seated. So what we've just read shows us that the Lord, through his angel, spoke to Philip in the midst of this Samaritan evangelistic campaign, and he told him to take the road that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And that was the road that ultimately led to one lost soul, this Ethiopian eunuch that we'll look at here in a few moments. But Philip, in his response, Philip gets up and he goes. He exemplifies in his willing, in his obedient, in his receptive response. He exemplifies for every Christian what it looks like to live life on mission and to be willing to share the hope of Christ, not just with the multitudes, but with the one. And there's much of... What that sort of missional, focused, gospel oriented life looks like, that you and I can learn from the example of Philip here in this passage. So, as we look closer at this passage, I want to share with you four tips for traveling the road to one lost soul. Here's the first of those you must be more concerned about being faithful than being fruitful. You must be more concerned about being faithful than being fruitful. Can you imagine what it was like to be in Philip's shoes in the midst of the circumstances that we find here today? Can you imagine what it's like to to encounter an angel telling you to leave what you are doing, even though what you are doing is definitely for the Lord, definitely thriving in his causes, I mean, Philip was in the middle of a revival that was sweeping Samaria. He was leading a fruitful ministry. He was the leading spokesman of a movement that was bringing transformation to a new nation. He could have settled down into the role of leader in that new movement. But now, God was calling him to ultimately leave the spotlight and to lurk back into the shadows as he took this gospel on the road. And he's literally called to take this road and the road that he's called to travel. It's not a desirable road. It wasn't a road that led to the next big city where he could expect abundant fruit to abound in the same numbers that he'd seen in Samaria. No, as Luke tells us at the end of verse 26, this is a desert road. This is a road of dryness and emptiness, a road fraught with perils, a a dangerous road. It was a road through the enemy territory of the Philistines, as a matter of fact. And as Philip was commanded by the angel in verse 26 to get up and go, that commandment, Didn't tell him where he would end up. It didn't tell him what he would encounter as he went. I mean, he's a little bit like Abraham in receiving this call to leave his people. His people in this moment being those he's led to faith in Samaria. And Just as Abraham was called by God to go to a people that he would show him. To a land that he would show him. We find Philip obeying here. He's simply told to leave what he's doing. Leave his destination and his care of this previous ministry to God. Now responding to a call like that requires a measure of faith. It requires a great degree of trust in what God is doing. Responding to a call like that requires a strong and steady assurance that the God who calls you will ultimately keep you verse 27 records philip's response so he got up and he went that is god called and philip went philip stepped out in faith because he trusted that god is faithful and god is always faithful do you believe that my friends if He calls you to some sort of ministry, you can be sure that the ministry that He's calling you to is the right ministry for you. And your response to what He's calling you to do should not merely be a matter of practical consideration about what might be fruitful. Because ultimately, what appears in our eyes to be fruitful might not always be what's best for God's kingdom. And God knows what's best for His kingdom. And so you must be more concerned about being faithful than being fruitful, just as Philip is here. And listen, friends, God knows how to multiply His glory on the earth. He knows the best way to go about doing that. And sometimes what seem like interruptions to us, maybe it's a diagnosis, maybe it's a job loss, Maybe it's a new director appointed in our place. Maybe it's something else altogether. Those interruptions can sometimes be divine opportunities. And I just ask, are you looking for God's Spirit to lead you through the interruptions that you're experiencing right now in your life to see where He might be guiding you next It may just be that he's guiding you on the road that leads to one lost soul. And you must be more concerned about being faithful than being fruitful. Philip, in this moment, he didn't feel snubbed. He didn't feel unappreciated. And there's a simple reason behind that. Philip wasn't after his own glory. Philip was after the glory of God. And so. He ultimately says in this moment, Lord, if you want me to leave the spectacular ministry to thousands and go into the desert for the sake of one man, then I'm willing, I'll do it. And that was Philip's mentality. When God took his previous ministry out from underneath him, he didn't feel snubbed, he didn't feel unappreciated, he didn't sulk into the shadows of the church. He pressed on with joy. And how could he do that? Well, you see, Philip is after God's glory. Philip is rejoicing in the one who has saved him. Philip is reproducing what has been produced in him by Christ Jesus. And God led Philip to one man. We're introduced to that man here in verses 27 and 28, which ultimately say there was an Ethiopian eunuch. A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure and who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. A lot packed into these couple of verses about who this one individual is. And we see, first of all, that this man was an Ethiopian. He was, he was a part of this nation which was referred to in those days as Ethiopia, which we might refer to these days as the Upper Nile region. In the Old Testament, that region was described to as the kingdom of Cush. We're talking about a kingdom that existed in Africa here. This man came from Africa. And while not all uh, Ethiopians were black in their pigment of their skin, the majority were, and most Bible scholars agree that the Ethiopian eunuch was probably a black man who was encountering a Jewish man here in this moment. There's a distinction of kind of the race which they are living out in here. And Ethiopia, you should know, was actually considered by Greeks uh, and Romans in this day to be the practical end of the civilized earth, the end of the world in their day. And this is an indicator that, once again, uh, we find Philip fulfilling the great commission to carry the gospel, not just to Samaria, as he's already done, but ultimately to the ends of the earth. He's taking this great commission commandment to another level, as we would expect Philip to do in his spirit-led faithfulness. We also see that this man that Philip ministered to was a eunuch. And while that word was sometimes used in a context of just kind of describing an official who kind of represented a government, uh, it's likely that the deeper and the meaning behind that was actually the case for this one that we encounter here in Acts chapter 8. It's likely that this man was a literal eunuch instead of just an official in a court. Why would I say that? Well, ultimately his position is mentioned in addition to this term. So there's something more that's being described about him as this term is used. And that means that he had likely been emasculated at some point through castration. Kings did this to their high officials to remove the threat that those individuals might try to ultimately create a dynasty for themselves. By taking advantage of their leadership over the king's harem. Or producing descendants that would then conspire against the king. And when we see that he, as a court official of Candace, is in this passage... He's an official of the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace, by the way, is actually a term that was used, much like Pharaoh was used in the Old Testament to describe the king of the Egyptians. It was a generic term that just referred to the queen. The queen was the one who was entrusted the authority of the kingdom. The, the kings were ultimately seen as divine in being above the affairs of the people. So the affairs of the people were entrusted to the queen, and then those who were serving under her were really the ones who had the power in this kingdom of Ethiopia. And this eunuch we find was actually in charge of the queen's treasure. That means he served in a very prominent sort of position in this kingdom in Philip's day. He would have been something like the secretary of finance for this kingdom of Ethiopia. We also see that this man had come to worship in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But there's a little bit of a problem with that. You see, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, eunuchs were not granted full membership into the community of Israel. In fact, they were not granted the opportunity to go and to worship beyond the court of the Gentiles in the temple. Was this Ethiopian perhaps a Jewish proselyte? Like he, he, Had he converted to being a Jew at some point along the way? There's a possibility of that, but even if he had, he wouldn't be allowed to worship fully as the Jews would worship because of his physical condition. This man had a lot going in his favor, but there was one thing that was not going so well for him. Like he had prominence, he had position, he had wealth, he had a chariot, he had the liberty to travel. But he was seeking the truth and he was having a hard time finding the truth. And still, through the ministry of one who took the road to one last lost soul, God was about to find this lost Ethiopian eunuch. And listen, don't get the impression That one individual's salvation is not worth your time and your energy. God's next great campaign may begin with a single soul being gained. And the road to one soul sometimes requires us to give greater emphasis to the few than to the many. Like the shepherd who leaves the 99 like the God who leaves heaven's glory and who leaves the saints who've ultimately looked forward to Him so so that He might walk the earth's side, that He might ultimately be Uh, spending His time on that earth encountering individuals like a woman by a well or a short man who's climbed up in a tree or a woman who had struggled with a bleeding issue all of her life or a man with a withered hand. Jesus, you see, didn't just preach to the masses. He cared for the individuals. And so should we. And we may be tempted to wonder Like, why didn't God just send this angel who speaks to Philip to go and to speak to this Ethiopian eunuch? Like, why didn't God just bridge that gap and send the angel to speak to the eunuch? Hear me on this. Angels have not been commanded to go and to make disciples of all the nations. That command has been given to Christians, not to angels. In fact, angels have never experienced God's saving grace personally as you and I have if we know Him. We who know Christ have experienced His blessings. We have experienced His redemption. Angels have never experienced that. And God has designed for us to thrive in this ministry of carrying his gospel. He's commanded us to carry forth this task. And let's just give ourselves an honest assessment. How are we doing with that church? It may be revealing that a recent Gallup poll found that Americans who consider themselves to be members of a church or synagogue or a mosque has dropped below 50%. For the first time since the organization started researching that topic in 1937. Back then church membership was 73%. Today it is 47%. Based on current trends, the George Barna group actually predicts that one in five churches could close within the next 18 months. That's 20%. Of churches that could be closed in the next 18 months. Is that what we'd expect if we're being faithful to take the road that leads to one lost soul? I think not. And friends, we must get busy with the business of being faithful to Christ's calling for us God will produce the fruitfulness, but will you step out in faithfulness? The first tip to traveling the road that leads to one lost soul is that you must be more concerned about being faithful than being fruitful. Here's the second. You must be willing to travel outside of your comfort zone, but you'll never travel outside of God's control zone. Philip certainly left his comfort zone. He didn't know where he was going until the Lord spoke to him again. This time it was through the Spirit. And he said to Philip in verse 29, go up and join this chariot. That's a chariot that's driven by a stranger of a different race and a different nation. And I could easily guess that this was not a comfortable calling for Philip to live out. But when Philip stepped out of his comfort zone, an amazing thing happened. His willingness led to what is likely the first account of a black skinned man coming to Christ. And Philip ran up to the chariot to meet the need of this uncomfortable calling. His heart was wide open to all sorts of people because his heart was a reflection of the heart of God who his heart is wide open to all sorts of people. Those who bear his image of every nation and language and tribe and ethnicity, every tongue, they're all objects of his love. They will all one day gather around the throne, representatives from each and every one, as we say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And friends, we ought to reflect his heart. In Acts chapter 6, Philip had cared for the widows just as God cares for the widows. Then, in the earlier verses of chapter 8, we saw him displaying a Christ like love for these despised Samaritans. Now we define him displaying Christ's love for the nations by caring for this Ethiopian man with respect. You see, Philip is an instrument of God's love for individuals of different ethnicities, different ranks, even those who have different religious views. That's the heart of a missionary. That's the heart of one who's faithfully living out the great commission that Christ has given to us. Love people. Go beyond your comfort zones as you love them. But it's so clear that Philip wasn't just stepping out of his own comfort zone, in fact, he was stepping into God's control zone. God was superintending every aspect of this encounter. It's so clear from all the aspects of what we see happening here. You see, Philip didn't know where he was going, but God did. Philip didn't know that his pace would cause him to encounter an individual from Ethiopia, but God did. Philip didn't know about this Ethiopian's internal uh, questions, but God did. God knew that this man had been rejected. God knew that this man was running on empty. God knew what this man was looking for. God knew what this man needed to be reading. And God knew the timing of what he would read and when he would read it. And God was orchestrating every single circumstance of this encounter. And Philip may have traveled out of his comfort zone, but he had not traveled out of God's control zone. And neither will you if you step out of your comfort zone for him. Christ has promised that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Philip was experiencing that firsthand. And listen, friends, the Lord divinely arranges conversations. Some of you have experienced that in your own lives. I certainly have. Where God's timing was just exactly what you needed in the time of your greatest need. And I say, are you Christian? Are you sensitive to the leading of God's Holy Spirit? Are you willing to speak to others who are struggling with His truth? so that God might use you for his divine appointments. Let me also say this. Nobody should be content to stay in a state of confusion about God's truth. This eunuch ultimately wrestled with truth, but he wasn't afraid to ask for help in his wrestling. When Philip asked the simple question, do you understand what you're reading? To gauge kind of the spiritual temperature of what was happening in the Ethiopian's life, the, the Ethiopian eunuch humbly replies and says, Well, how could I? Unless someone guides me. And then we read that he invited Philip up into the chariot to come and to sit with him. To ride shotgun and to share an explanation of what God's word was saying. And, and check it out. Listen, God's given us two gifts. He's given us his word But he has also gifted us with teachers who are able to open the word. Who are able to explain the word. Who are able to expound upon his word. Who are able to apply his word. And God didn't just give Philip access to the scroll of Isaiah. He gave him access to an interpreter who could help him to understand its truth. And God has granted among his church evangelists and preachers and teachers to help with efforts like this. So if you leave your time of worship like this Ethiopian eunuch left his time in Jerusalem with confusion. Don't let your confusion remain. Call us. Question us. Who knows? Maybe we'll discover the truth together. But it would be much better to ask someone than to be floundering around in your understanding and to miss the riches that God holds in store. So don't let confusion reign when others are willing to explain. As Philip traveled out of his comfort zone, but not out of God's control zone, he was used in this way. He was used for this sort of ministry. Are you willing to travel the road to one lost soul? If so, then you must be willing to travel out of your comfort zone. But you'll never travel outside of God's control zone. That's the second trip, tip to traveling that road. Here's the third. You're not called to pave the way, but to point the way. You're not called to pave the way, but to point the way. You see, there's not much innovative in the way that Philip ultimately shares the gospel here in this passage. In fact, he's simply listening to the word of God as the eunuch reads it. Verses 32 through 33 tell us what's being read. We'll look at that in a moment. It was a passage about the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53. Philip makes himself available, and the eunuch asks a question about this passage. He says, please tell me. Second question he asked, by the way, there's three that he asked in this passage. Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then we read that Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. You see, Philip didn't have to pave the way. He only had to point this Ethiopian to the way. Jesus is the way. Listen, Philip could have shared some amazing stories about what he had experienced not too long ago on the day of Pentecost up in Jerusalem. He could have spent some time establishing his credibility by telling this man of his tenure as a deacon in the first church. He could have amazed the Ethiopian with amazing things that that God had done through him as he led the crusade through Samaria, but he doesn't do any of that because Philip knew a simple truth. God's Word does the work, and God's Word always points us to Jesus. Jesus is on every page of the Bible, you might say. He's standing in the shadows even when you can't clearly see Him. Search the scriptures because they testify about him as he said. And the road to one lost soul has been paved with his sacrifice. We're not told exactly why this eunuch was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading this scroll as he's riding along. We're not told why Isaiah was his choice. We're not told how he'd gotten a hold of this expensive Scroll. I mean, it would, have, it would have been an expense to attain something like this. But with this prominence, we wonder if he didn't seek out this particular scroll. We wonder if he didn't particularly purchase this part of what God had revealed of himself. The Bible hadn't yet been collected. They had scrolls in that day. And this eunuch had come across and somehow had obtained possession of this scroll from Isaiah. And the scroll of Isaiah, by the way, would have been especially precious to eunuchs. Because in that prophetic book that we now have in our Bibles, you ultimately would find that it is Isaiah, the prophet, who describes a future in which eunuchs will possess a name better than sons and daughters. And will possess an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Like those realities actually occur just a few chapters beyond what was being read here in this Isaiah chapter 53. Passage. As a matter of fact, there weren't even a division of chapters at that point. We wonder if maybe the eunuch had been reading about that hope in spite of the fact that he had been rejected in Jerusalem and had in the process begun to look a little higher to see what Isaiah had said about the suffering servant. And little did he know. Little did that rejected, that Eunuch who was unable to go into the inner court beyond the court of the Gentiles in the temple. Little did he know that God was about to lead him in a very personal sort of way to experience his rich promises for the eunuchs there in Isaiah 56. And God drew the Ethiopian to himself. He did that through the passage of the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. Verses 32 through 34 here in Acts 8 give us the precise words that were being read. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Listen, friends, that passage was written some 750 years before Philip and the Ethiopian met. But it had been written to show the world that this sort of Savior named Jesus was coming. Jesus was written all over that passage. His substitutionary work on the cross for sinners, his conquering of the grave, his resurrection are all a part of what God had promised in those compact verses. As he was crucified, Jesus showed himself to be the lamb who was silent before his shearers. As the accusers shouted at him, he opened not his mouth. He could have called legions of angels down from his father, but instead he remained silent in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. He was given no fair trial. He was mocked. He was abused. He was stripped naked. He was spat upon. He was flogged with no proven offense. There's no justice in that. Who can speak of his descendants while his life was cut short? But the tragedy of his death was followed by multitudes of disciples who trusted in him, who ultimately became adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty. Friends, his life was removed from the earth, but Jesus rose up out of the grave and ascended to heaven He ascended to His heavenly Father. Jesus' death wasn't deserved. It was a death in place of those who deserved it. Do you see Jesus written all over Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant? Do you see that he's the promised Messiah? Do you see that God keeps his promises? Do you see that Jesus has come to save you? Do you see that he's paved the way for you to be saved? And when we travel the road to one lost soul, we're not called to pave the way, but to point to the way. And Jesus is the way. No other way will do. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, only Jesus can save. Trust in Jesus. Lead others to Jesus. Begin from the scriptures and preach Jesus. You're not the hero that anyone needs for eternal life. There's only one hero that everyone needs, and he is it. So cry out to him and be saved, cry out to him and be an instrument of light in the darkness. This Ethiopian needed more than just a buddy riding shotgun in his chariot. He needed to hear from someone who could explain the truth of God: the truth of the gospel with the Spirit's guidance. You know, maybe you're investing your life in some individuals and you're thinking to yourself as you're doing that, like, I hope I can be a good influence on these people. I hope I can be a good influence on the ladies at work. I hope I can be a good influence on the guys I'm golfing with. I hope I can be a good influence on my kids. Maybe you're living with noble character. Maybe you're setting a stellar example. But hear me on this, friends. Don't stop there. Don't give the example without opening your mouth to proclaim the reason behind the example. Live with gospel intentionality that speaks the gospel verbally. We are the church. We are made up of mothers and fathers and nurses and bankers and salespeople and retirees and teachers and students and athletes and firemen and many other vocations. But all of us can be missionaries. All of us are called to be missionaries. So let's ask in every situation, how can I proclaim then to how can I teach? christ in this situation do you have a neighbor maybe that you've been meaning to visit do you have a co-worker that you've had good intentions of engaging in some conversation do you have a gift that you've been thinking about giving to the struggling family who lives down the road is there someone in your school who continues to be on your mind and on your heart if so it could be that God is up to something. You, like Philip, may have a chariot that's waiting for you at the end of that road. So go and love unconditionally. Go and proclaim Christ's truth boldly. Be deliberate about sharing the gospel with your children, with your co-workers with your customers with your teammates with your colleagues be deliberate about leveraging your life to share the gospel walk the road that looks for the one lost soul and i ask you do you have the passion for that do you have the passion that longs to point others to the way who is christ jesus i hope you do but do you want to cultivate that passion? If so, then take a little time to ponder the cross. Take a little time to ponder the Savior who loved us when we were unlovable. The Savior who came after us when we were not coming after Him. Not one of us deserves the salvation that Jesus provides to us. And the more that we contemplate who He is and his great love, his unquenchable love for us. The more we contemplate that, the more that we will be moved to love individuals as Philip loved them. You're not called to pave the way, but to, to point others to the way. That's the third tip of walking the road to one lost soul. Here's the final tip your final destination is not intelligence but obedience. Your final destination is not intelligence, but obedience. Philip knew that. He wasn't just setting out to educate this Ethiopian man. He wanted this man to find life in Christ, not a diploma in Christology. How do we know that? Well, as these two rode along in the chariot, verse 36 reveals that they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water... What prevents me from being baptized? I don't know how closely you're paying attention to the Isaiah 53 passage, but that passage says nothing about baptism. OK? Philip was applying the scriptures. He was calling for this man to respond in faith and to show the symbol of faith in Christian baptism. He's calling for the eunuch to be saved. He's calling for him to obey. Because when you travel the road. To one lost soul, the destination is not intelligence, but obedience. And this eunuch, he was filled with questions. We talked already about how there were three questions that we find him asking just in this brief passage, this brief account that Luke gives us of this exchange. And if you spend time telling people about Jesus Christ, you know that one of the challenges in witnessing to individuals is that individuals that you talk to typically have a lot of questions to ask. Some of them are sincere, some are not so sincere. Some individuals are full of hypothetical questions. Others really have heart needs that need to be addressed. We don't want to dodge those questions, but what individuals ultimately need is not an answer to all of their questions. They need to answer for themselves the primary question, what will you do with the truth of Jesus Christ? And the gospel demands, the gospel creates in us a desire for obedience. Real faith in Christ leads to obedience. And that's an obedience that starts with baptism. As Christ called for us to go and to live out the Great Commission, He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His first command to you, if you... Placed your trust in Him is a command to be baptized. And have you followed the Lord into this sort of gospel obedience? Baptism is a portrait of your faith in Him. Baptism is a portrait that you are dead to the person that you once were and now living to the new creature that He's made you to be. It is showing that you are associating yourself with the one who was ultimately placed in the grave, but who did not remain in the grave, who is now risen to life forevermore. Just as one day, though they may place our bodies in a cold, dead, dark grave, that won't be the end of the story. Because Christ is coming again for his own. And we who have associated ourselves with him by faith, Trusting in his finished work as he's paved the way. Have this promise that. That's not the end of the story for us. Have you shown the world your association with Christ? Have you been obedient through the practice of baptism in obedience to his command? God doesn't want you puffed up with knowledge. He wants you poured out in submission to him. And that's where we ultimately find Philip. And this eunuch, both, at the end of this passage, they go down to the water. And Philip baptizes the eunuch in verse 38. By the way, there wasn't a sprinkling event that's going on here. You don't go down into the water to be sprinkled. This was baptism by immersion, as the literal word baptism meant in the original Greek language. Baptizo means to immerse. This was the standard practice in the early church, and it's our standard practice as a church today. The reason why, there's a tub behind me now, okay? And this eunuch went away rejoicing, even as Philip was snatched away by the Lord's Spirit to his next assignment. And friends, let me just say, there is joy in living in obedience to the Lord. Don't let the world convince you that you're going to experience Less joy if you live a life of obedience to God Almighty. Our greatest joy will be found in being in the center of His will. God doesn't give us. prescriptions to make us miserable. He doesn't want to see us squirm like a worm in hot ashes, as Adrian Rogers used to say. No, God wants what's best for you. God loves you. When God calls for you to obey, he's calling for you to experience life in its fullness. So don't get the idea that obedience is going to deprive you of your joy. This Ethiopian eunuch Went away rejoicing. And you in your trust, in your following, Christ will find the same. The road to one lost soul must have nothing less than obedience to Christ as its final destination. Are you willing to travel that road? Are you willing to travel the road to one lost soul? Are you willing to be used of God to reach those in your circles, those whom you know, those who need to hear the gospel. And I want to close with a challenge for all of us, ultimately, an evangelism challenge. And I want you to identify, I want you to consider, I want you to really take some time here in these moments to ask God's Spirit to point you to someone in your circles who needs to know the gospel. In fact, I want you to ask the Spirit the Holy Spirit to identify to you right now one or two individuals who need the hope of Christ. And specifically, all right, I want you to take the time to think of this. Think of this in terms of who needs the gospel in my life? Who needs the hope that only Christ can provide in my life right now? And I want you to think in in terms of five spheres of your influence in life, okay? So think here for a moment. Think, first of all, is there anyone in your family Who in your family needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there anyone in your family? What about this? Is there anyone in your current or your previous line of work? Anyone that you work with now or have worked with in the past, can you think of anyone in those circles who needs the gospel? Think about your neighborhood. Think about those who live in the same area or in the same building as you. Is there anyone in your neighborhood who needs the hope that only Christ can provide? What about the places where you go to shop or the places you go to eat? Anyone you can think of in those areas who needs Christ? What about the circle of influence of where you play? Maybe it's at the gym or at a certain club or some manner of sports that you play. Is there anyone in that circle who needs the hope of the gospel? All right, have we, have we got, like, just by a show of hands, have you got one or two individuals that you can think of maybe in those spheres? I, I see a few folks with hands up there, okay? All right, would you resolve to do at least of the two following two of the following five tasks over, that, over the next week for one of those individuals, okay? We're talking about the road that leads to one lost soul. Would you resolve to do two out of these five over the next week? Here's the first option, to pray for that person. Like to ask God to make a difference, to draw that individual to himself. Would you, would you commit to pray for that individual? Or another option would be Invite that individual to come to church, invite that individual to come and to worship with us, come and to hear, come and to see a little bit of what we're all about as Christians. Would you resolve to do that? Or maybe you might resolve to serve that person in some meaningful sort of way. You might resolve to to try and make a positive difference for them in some way in this coming week. Or would you resolve to give that person some gospel-oriented literature? Maybe it's a Bible track. Maybe it's a good book that you've read. Maybe it's a a Bible. Like maybe this person just needs one. And, And you could give that piece of literature. And you could circle back a week or two from now and say, Hey, have you had a chance to read any of that? I just want to tell you a little bit about what difference that's made in my life. Or would you just fifthly and most straightforwardly and most clearly be Willing to speak the gospel to that person this coming week. Would you resolve to do two of those five things for one of those people that God has placed in your circles of influence this coming week? This is our commission. This is what we champion. And this is what I encourage all of us to truly be yielding ourselves to the Spirit to be a part of. And we're going to close with a word of prayer and then you're going to be dismissed to hopefully go and live these truths out. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, like, maybe could you possibly be at the intersection of the road that leads to one lost soul today? Could you possibly be one that God is drawing to yourself, one that God is speaking His good news to, one that God is wooing to Himself to know that Christ Jesus is the hope that fills the longing that you've been yearning for? If so, then I urge you, I encourage you to trust in Him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, Father, We praise you for those who, like Philip, have been your ambassadors then. Maybe it's been parents. Maybe it's been relatives. Maybe it's been co-workers. Maybe it's been friends of ours who have shared this hope with us. Maybe it's been teachers of Sunday school classes or teachers in the church or preachers. Maybe it's been others, God, who have been involved in our lives and who have spoken your truth to us. We thank you for those who, like Philip, have taken the road which leads to one lost soul. And we thank you for the difference that's made for those of us who've placed our hope and our trust in Christ. Those of us who've yielded up our lives as selfish pursuits and have come to know that, oh Lord, you provide all that we need. Father, we just pray that you continue to draw individuals to yourself in this way, Lord. We pray that you break us out of our selfishness, that we wouldn't just receive these things, but that we would be ambassadors of these things, that we would champion your gospel, we'd be on commission for your great commission, that we might, oh Lord, live on mission, that we might share your hope, we might proclaim Christ Jesus. God, help us to open our mouths for Jesus' sake. And Lord, I just pray you would Put feet feet to the faith that we live out. That you'd help us to move as we act out the resolution that you've laid before us here today. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for coming. You are.